The first lesson is from Genesis chapter 39, and this will also be the basis for the sermon. When Joseph was brought down to Egypt, Potiphar the Egyptian, who was an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down to Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became successful. He served in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything that he touched a success. Joseph found favor in his sight. Joseph served him, and he made Joseph manager of his household. He put Joseph in charge of everything. From the time that Potiphar made him manager of his household in charge of everything that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord rested on everything that he had, both in the house and in the fields. So he left Joseph in charge of everything that he had. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So in your family, which child is the favorite? I know, people in your culture, just the thought of having a favorite child, you recoil, shock, horror. Oh no, we would never, we would never have a, a favorite child. If we did, we would certainly never admit it, and we would do everything that we possibly could to hide which child was our favorite. That's your culture, that's fine. Uh, the world I grew up in wasn't like that at all, it seems. Not only did parents have no problem having a favorite child, they also had no problem broadcasting it to everyone else in the family. See, in my family, there were 12 brothers, some half-brothers, some full brothers. My father, Jacob, clearly liked me the most. Not only was I the son of his old age, so I was like the baby, but I was also a son of his preferred wife, whose name was Rachel. So he liked me the most, and my dad, Jacob, did nothing at all to hide that from my older brothers. And wouldn't you know it, they resented me for it. And it wasn't just that, but the Lord also gave me these dreams to tell me that one day, even though I was the youngest, I was going to rule over those 11 older brothers. And I told them about those dreams. And wouldn't you know it, they resented me for that too. Hard to believe, I know. But they, they resented me so much that resent isn't even a strong enough word. They hated me for it. In fact, my older brothers hated me for this stuff so much they wanted to kill me for it. They came up with a plan. Granted, it was kind of an impromptu plan, but it was still a plan. We're talking premeditated fratricide here by my older brothers. Their plan was to throw me into a cistern and just leave me for dead. That's how much they hated me. Now, I did have one older brother named Reuben, and apparently somewhere deep down inside, Reuben had some little scrap of affection or love for me down there. Because Reuben spoke up and said, no, no, don't leave him for dead. Yeah, he needs a lesson. Throw him in the cistern for sure. But just don't leave him down there for dead. So they listened to Reuben. He kind of saved my life. But then while I was down there in the cistern, I had this other brother named Judah. And he saw slave traders passing by on the road. And Judah got an idea. Why don't we get some money out of this? Get him out of the cistern. Sell them to the slave traders. That way we get rid of Golden Boy. We never have to see him ever again. And we get to line our pockets. So that's what they did. The slave traders took me down to Egypt where I was purchased by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a very high-ranking servant of the king, Pharaoh. So now I'm a slave 
in Potiphar's house. And I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I did not mope around when I got into Potiphar's house. I worked, and I worked hard, and I became extremely successful. Things went so well for Potiphar with me running the whole show of his house that Potiphar just sat back and put up his feet and let me do everything. So those are all the reasons on the surface that I ended up as a successful servant in the house of Potiphar, the Egyptian. You had the favoritism of a father, the hatred and envy of my older brothers. You had these slave traders. You had Potiphar himself. And you had all my good hard work there in Potiphar's house. All of that made me a success. But there was another reason that maybe isn't so easy to see until you read what Moses has to say about it. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became successful. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did a success. The blessing of the Lord rested on everything he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Did you catch it? It seems, it seems there is a truth here that Moses definitely wants you to catch. He is so determined that you are not going to miss this truth that he repeats it four times in five and a half verses. For all the reasons you see on the surface for my success in Potiphar's house, the real reason for all of it was that the Lord was behind it all and underneath it all and making everything work for my good in the end. Now that was not easy to believe when I was sitting at the bottom of a cistern. And it got harder to believe when the slave traders were tying me up. And it got even harder to believe when I was standing on the auction block watching Potiphar purchase me. But it was true. The Lord was behind it all and working through it all for my ultimate good. And that's why believers in your day and age will often use the story of me, Joseph, to encourage fellow believers. You know, when you know a fellow Christian who's struggling and things are looking bleak and disappointing in their life, you say, hey, remember Joseph that we learned about in Sunday school, all the terrible stuff that happened to him? And the Lord worked through it all. And it all worked out for Joseph in the end, and that's how the Lord does it, and he's going to work everything out for you too. And I'll tell you, that is a very useful and commendable way for the Lord's people like you to put my story into motion for each other in your day and age. But I'm here this morning to tell you that there's another way to think about this story, a bigger way to think about the story of me, Joseph. And that's that my story isn't just about me and the Lord working all things for my good. It's also about you and the Lord working all things for your eternal good. See, if this was just about me, if this was just about one guy, little old Joseph, and everything working out for my good, the story could have ended right there. It could have ended with me in Potiphar's house. Maybe after a few years, Potiphar would emancipate me as a reward for all my faithful service. I could get married and have a nice little family with a bunch of kids and be rich and prosperous and die old and gray and happy and successful in the house of Potiphar. If it were just about me, the story could end right there, the end. But it wasn't just about me. It was about you too. And it was about your eternity. So next the Lord took me to prison. After Potiphar's wife made some scurrilous and salacious accusations against me. Potiphar sent me to the same prison where the king, Pharaoh, kept his own personal enemies. That's not good. 
It's never good to go to any prison, but you definitely don't want to go to the prison where the king keeps his own personal enemies because that's a prison you go to to never get out of. But I did. I don't have time to go into all the details here. If you want to read the whole story, it's the last chapters of Genesis. It's a really fascinating and interesting story. You can read it on your own time. But suffice it to say, the Lord got me out of that mess too. And years later, the Lord used me during a famine. Those 11 brothers who sold me hatefully into slavery, they came down to Egypt looking for food. And the Lord used me, Joseph, to forgive and feed those older brothers. He used me to keep my entire extended family alive during a famine. And then after that, the Lord blessed my entire extended family. They remained slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but he prospered them and multiplied them until finally, after 400 years, Moses led my huge, now it was a huge extended family, about 2 million, and they were known as the Israelites by this time. Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And it was from that extended family, that nation of Israel, that your Savior and mine was born on Christmas night. It was through my family that he came into the world and did all the work of saving you from your sins. So, see, all the while through this story, when the Lord is saving me and protecting me and prospering me, he was also working to save you and prosper you and protect you for all eternity in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. This was all part of God's eternal plan for your good. And really, that's what all of scripture is. I mean, we're looking at a five and a half verse slice of scripture this morning, but the entire book is about God working everything out for your eternal good. God working all things. Here's the really mind-bending thing about it. He actually started doing this before there was any history to work. He tells you in his word that before he ever said, let there be anything, before he laid the foundations of the world, he had his eternal plan to have you by his side in heaven with all of your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus. Now that Savior Jesus in today's gospel, he tells you to think with the same mindset as your heavenly father. To think and to live with eternity in mind. And when you hear that, you might think, I can't do that. <laughs> How am I supposed to plan eternity? I don't have the mind of God. My mind is flawed and finite and weak. I can't plan eternity. And that, there is a lot of truth in that. But you do know enough about eternity to use your time and your energy and your money and your everything that God gives you in this world with eternity in mind. Yeah, it's true. You don't know everything about eternity, but you do know some things. Because there are some things about eternity that your God tells you in his word. One thing you know about eternity is that it's real. This world and this life is not all there is. There is an eternity coming for every human being. And another thing you know that God tells you in his word is that every human being is going to face a judgment after they die, and then they're going to spend their personal eternity in one of two places. And which place they go to depends on where they stand with Jesus Christ at the moment of their death, whether they believe in him or not. Here's something else you know, or at least you should. It's not your job. It is not your responsibility to make anyone believe in Jesus. That is not within your power. That requires the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Only he can bring someone to faith. 
But here's something else you know. You know how the Holy Spirit does it. You know how he produces faith in the hearts of human beings. And that's what the good news of what your Savior has done for you. And here's what you can do. Here's how God does want you to think and live your life. To do everything you can to bring that gospel, that good news of Jesus' love, to as many people as you can. That is thinking and living with eternity in mind. So, is that how you're living your life? Does your money go to spread the good news of Christ far and wide? Does your time go to pray for missionaries who are proclaiming the gospel all over the world? Do, do your words, your speech go to speak the love of Christ to the people around you? Are you living with eternity in mind? And here you might start to think, yeah, but you know, God's given me an awful lot of responsibilities down here in this world too. I had a lot of things to keep up with. I got a family, they take a lot of my money. I got a job, it takes a lot of my focus and my energy. I got this whole complex, I got 10,000 things I got to do every day. And by the time I'm done taking care of everything God has given me down here, there's only so much left for me to think eternally with. All right, now I know I'm your guest here this morning, and I don't want to be too hard on you, I don't want to be rude. I'm here on a weekend pass from St. Peter. This is more of an assignment, to be honest with you. Uh, nobody really wants to leave heaven and come back down into this mess that you've got going down down here. The, only Jesus, he's the only one who voluntarily left heaven to come into this world. That's how much he loves you. So I'm not, I don't want to be too hard on you, but this is where you take a wrong turn in your thinking. This is where you people do go wrong in your hearts and your minds. You think of things as a separation on two different levels. You've got your stuff down here your pets and your car and your job and your family. And then you've got eternity out there somewhere. And they're two different separated things. But what if the Holy Spirit trained you to think like your loving Heavenly Father? To see everything down here as an opportunity to work for the eternity out there. See, your Heavenly Father sees no separation between these to those two things. Just think about my story. Think about all the very earthly things that the Lord used. Favoritism, hatred, slavery, food, hard work, cisterns, and he used all of those things in his eternal plan for your good. And you know, when your Savior Jesus came into the world, he saw things the same way. He saw everything as a chance to work for eternity. And there are so many vivid examples of that from the life of your Savior, but there's one that maybe stands out most clearly. And that is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus died for your sins. He knelt and prayed. And just think about it, that moment, all of the worldly things that Jesus had pressing up against him. He had friends over here and enemies over here and a traitor over here. He already had this intense suffering going on in his soul and then the prospect of this horrific physical suffering coming the next day. And with all of those worldly things swirling around him, what was his prayer? Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knows there is an eternal matter at hand. So even with all of these worldly things rushing up against him, where is the mind of your Savior? It is on eternity. Specifically, it's on your eternity. So, 
Because that's where his mind is, how is Jesus going to use those soldiers, that governor, that cross, that tomb? He's going to use the soldiers and the governor, the arrest and the trial to complete the perfect life that he lived for you in your place. He is going to use that cross to wash away your sins and open up heaven to you for eternity. And he's going to use his own tomb to smash your own. Everything all around him he will use for your eternal good. Now, your heavenly father wants you to think the same way with eternity in mind. But before you do that, before your mind is going to match the heavenly father's, your mind and your heart have to rest in the love of your Lord, who has planned everything and worked everything for your eternal benefit. Your mind and your heart has to rest in the love of your Savior, who came and used everything in this world to achieve eternal salvation for you. Your heart and your mind is in their love, then your mind is going to match theirs, and you are going to use everything in this world, everything God gives you with eternity in mind. So now, your house is not just going to be a place where you prepare meals and you raise kids and you host friends. It's going to be a place with an eternal purpose. A place where the love of Christ is spoken and taught. So the people you share your house with, you can also share heavenly dwellings with. The place you work, your office, is no longer going to be a place where you're just thrown in with other random people and now you you share the same stretch of carpeting with them and you happen to earn money at the same place, but instead your office is going to be a place where other souls come to be with you. People who need Jesus for eternity and can get him from you. And the money you get from that job. You're no longer going to think of it as, okay, I lop off this end of it and put it in the offering plate and that's for eternity and the rest is for down here. Now, definitely keep putting it in the offering plate. That's not the point. The point is, that's for eternity, too. That's for eternity. Yes, definitely. But so is everything else you use your money for. What's the point of the food and the clothes and the car? Why keep yourself going? It's to spread the love of your Savior everywhere you go. See, my story shows you that the Heavenly Father used everything in my life for good, but not just for me and not just for my life, for your life, for your eternal life. When your promised Savior came, he used everything the same way. Now think like your Heavenly Father and use everything he gives you with eternal ends. Amen.